The Deliberator belongs to an elite order, a hallowed subcategory. He's got Esprit up to here. Right now, he's preparing to carry out his third mission of the night. His uniform is black as activated charcoal, filtering the very light out of the air. A bullet will bounce off its arachnofiber weave like a wren hitting a patio door, but excess perspiration wafts through it like a breeze through a freshly napalmed forest. Where his body has bony extremities, the suit has centered armor gel. Feels like gritty jello, protects like a stack of telephone books. When they gave him the job, they gave him a gun. The Deliverator never deals in cash, but someone might come after him anyway. Might want his car or his cargo. The gun is tiny, aero-styled, lightweight. The kind of gun a fashion designer would carry. It fires teensy darts that fly at five times the velocity of an SR-71 spy plane. And when you get done using it, you have to plug it into the cigarette lighter, because it runs on electricity. The Deliverator never pulled that gun in anger, or in fear. He pulled it once in Gila Highlands. Some punks in Gila Highlands, a fancy burbclave, wanted themselves a delivery, and they didn't want to pay for it. Thought they would impress the Deliverator with a baseball bat. The Deliverator took out his gun, centered its laser doohickey on that poised Louisville slugger, fired it. The recoil was immense, as though the weapon had blown up in his hand. The middle third of the baseball bat turned into a column of burning sawdust accelerating in all directions like a bursting star. Punk ended up holding this bat handle with milky smoke pouring out the end. Stupid look on his face. Didn't get nothing but trouble from the Deliverator. Since then, the Deliverator has kept the gun in the glove compartment and relied instead on a matched set of samurai swords, which have always been his weapon of choice anyhow. The punks in Gila Highlands weren't afraid of the gun, so the Deliverator was forced to use it. But swords need no demonstrations. The Deliverator's car has enough potential energy packed into its batteries to fire a pound of bacon into the asteroid belt. Unlike a bimbo box or a burb beater, the Deliverator's car unloads that power through gaping, gleaming, polished sphincters. When the Deliverator puts the hammer down, shit happens. You want to talk contact patches? Your car's tires have tiny contact patches. Talk to the asphalt in four places the size of your tongue. The Deliverator's car has big, sticky tires with contact patches the size of a fat lady's thighs. The Deliverator is in touch with the road. Starts like a bad day, stops on a peseta. Why is the Deliverator so equipped? Because people rely on him. He is a role model. This is America. People do whatever the fuck they feel like doing. You got a problem with that? Because they have a right to. And because they have guns and no one can fucking stop them. As a result, this country has one of the worst economies in the world. When it gets down to it, talking trade balances here, once we've brain-drained all our technology into other countries, once things have evened out, they're making cars in Bolivia and microwave ovens in Tajikistan and selling them here. Once our edge in national resources has been made irrelevant by giant Hong Kong ships and dirigibles that can ship North Dakota all the way to New Zealand for a nickel, once the invisible hand has taken all those historical inequities and smeared them out into a broad global layer of what a Pakistani brickmaker would consider to be prosperity, you know what? There's only four things we do better than anyone else. Music, movies, microcode, software, high-speed pizza delivery. The Deliberator used to make software, still does sometimes. But if life were a mellow elementary school run by well-meaning education PhDs, the Deliberator's report card would say, Hero is so bright and creative, but needs to work harder on his cooperation skills. So now he has this other job. No brightness or creativity involved, but no cooperation either. Just a single, 
Principle. The Deliverator stands tall. Your pie in 30 minutes, or you can have it free. Shoot the driver, take his car, file a class action suit. The Deliverator has been working this job for six months, a rich and lengthy tenure by his standards, and has never delivered the pizza in, 20, in more than 21 minutes. Oh, they used to argue over times. Many corporate driver years lost to it. Homeowners, red-faced and sweaty with their own lies, stinking of old spice and job-related stress, standing in their glowing yellow doorways, brandishing their Seikos and watching, waving the clock over the kitchen sink. I swear, can't you guys tell time? Didn't happen anymore. Pizza delivery is a major industry, a managed industry. People went to Cosa Nostra Pizza University four years just to learn it. Came in its doors, unable to write an English sentence from Abkhazia, Rwanda, Guanajuato, South Jersey. Came out knowing more about pizza than a Bedouin knows about sand. And they had studied this problem. Graphed the frequency of doorway delivery time disputes. Wired the early deliverators to record and then analyze the debating tactics, the voice stress histograms, the distinctive grammatical structures employed by white, middle-class, type-A burbclave occupants who, against all logic, had decided that this was the place to take their personal Casterian stand against all that was stale and deadening in their lives. They were going to lie or delude themselves about the time of their phone call and get themselves a free pizza. No, they deserved a free pizza along with their life, liberty, and pursuit of whatever. It was fucking inalienable. Sent psychologists out to these people's houses, gave them a free TV set to submit to an anonymous interview, hooked them to polygraphs, studied their brainwaves, and they showed them choppy, inexplicable movies of porn queens and late-night car crashes and Sammy Davis Jr., put them in sweet-smelling mauve-walled rooms and asked them questions about ethics so perplexing that even a Jesuit couldn't respond without committing a venial sin. The analysts at Cosa Nostra Pizza University concluded that it was just human nature and you couldn't fix it, and so they went for a quick, clean, te cheap technical fix. Smart boxes. The pizza box is a plastic carapace now, corrugated for stiffness, a little LED readout on the side, glowing, telling the deliverer how many trade imbalance producing minutes have ticked away since the fateful phone call. There are chips and stuff in there. Pizza, the pizzas rest, a short stack of them, in slots behind the deliverator's head. Each pizza glides into a slot like a circuit board into a computer, clicks into place as the smart box interfaces with the onboard system of the deliverator's car. The address of the caller has already been inferred from his phone number and poured into the smart box's built-in RAM. From there, it is communicated to the car, which computes and projects the optimal route on a heads-up display. A glowing colored map traced out against the windshield so that the deliverer does not even have to glance down. If the 30-minute deadline expires, news of the disaster is flashed to Cosa Nostra Pizza headquarters and relayed from there to Uncle Enzo himself. The Sicilian Colonel Sanders, the Andy Griffith of Bensonhurst, the straight razor-swinging figment of many a deliverator's nightmares. The capo and prime figurehead of Cosa Nostra Pizza, Incorporated, who will be on the phone to the customer within five minutes apologizing profusely. The next day, Uncle Enzo will land on the customer's yard in a jet helicopter and apologize some more and give him a free trip to Italy. All he has to do is sign a bunch of releases that make him a public figure and spokesman for Cosa Nostra Pizza and basically end his private life as he knows it. He will come away from the whole thing feeling that somehow he owes the Mafia a favor. The deliverator does not know what happens to the driver in such cases, but he has heard some rumors. Most pizza deliveries happen in the evening hours, which Uncle Enzo considers to be his private time. 
And how would you feel it if you had to interrupt dinner with your family in order to come to call some obsequious dork in a burb clave and grovel for a late fucking pizza? Uncle Enzo has not put in 50 years serving his family and his country so that at the age when most are playing golf and bobbling their granddaughters, he can get out of the bathtub dripping wet and lie down and kiss the feet of some 16-year-old skate punk whose pepperoni was 31 minutes in coming. Oh, God. It makes the deliverator breathe a little shallower just to think of the idea. But he wouldn't drive for Costa Nostra Pizza any other way. You know why? Because there's something about having your life on the line. It's like being a kamikaze pilot. Your mind is clear. Other people, store clerks, burger flippers, software engineers, the whole vocabulary of meaningless jobs that make up life in America. Other people just rely on plain old competition. Better flip your burgers or debug your subroutines faster and better than your high school classmate two blocks down the strip is flipping or debugging because we're in competition with those guys and people notice these things. What a fucking rat race that is. Cousin Nostra Pizza doesn't have any competition. Competition goes against the mafia ethic. You don't work harder because you're competing against some identical operation down the street. You work harder because everything is on the line. Your name, your honor, your family, your life. Those burger flippers might have a better life expectancy, but what kind of life is it anyway, you have to ask yourself. That's why nobody, not even the Nipponese, can move pizza faster than Cosa Nostra. The deliverator is proud to wear the uniform and proud to drive the car, proud to march up the front walks of innumerable burbclave homes, a grim vision in ninja black, a pizza on his shoulder, red LED lights blazing proud numbers into the night, 1232 or 1515, or the occasional 2043. The deliverator is assigned to Cosa Nostra Pizza, number 3569 in the valley. Southern California doesn't know whether to bustle or just strangle itself on the spot. Not enough roads for the number of people. Fairlands Incorporated is laying new ones all the time. Have to bulldoze lots of neighborhoods to do it. But those 70s and 80s developments exist to be bulldozed, right? No sidewalks, no schools, no nothing. Don't have their own police force. No immigration control. Undesirables can walk right in without being frisked or even harassed. Now, a burbclave, that's the place to live. A city-state with its own constitution, a border, laws, cops, everything. The Deliverator was a corporal in the farms of Maryville State Security Force for a while once. Got himself fired for pulling a sword on an acknowledged perp. Slid it right through the fabric of the perp's shirt, gliding the flat of the blade along the base of his neck and pinned him to a warped and bubbled expanse of vinyl siding on the wall of the house that the perp was trying to break into. Thought it was a pretty righteous bust. But they fired him anyway because the perp turned out to be the son of the vice chancellor of the farms in Maryville. Oh, the weasels had an excuse. Said that a 36-inch samurai sword was not in their weapons protocol. Said that he had violated the SPAC, the Suspected Perpetrator Apprehension Code. Said that the perp had suffered psychological trauma. He was afraid of butter knives now. Had to spread his jelly with the back of a teaspoon. They said that he had exposed them to liability. The deliverator had to borrow some money to pay for it. Had to borrow it from the mafia, in fact. So he's in their database now. Retinal patterns, DNA, voice graph, fingerprints, footprints, palm prints, wrist prints, every fucking part of the body that had wrinkles on it. Almost. Those bastards rolled in ink and made a print and digitized it into their computer. But it's their money. Sure, they're careful about loaning it out. And when he applied for the delivery job, they were happy to take him because they knew him. When he got the loan, he had to deal personally with the assistant vice capo for the Valley, who later recommended him for the delivery job. So it was like being in a family. 
a really scary, twisted, abusive family. Costa Nostra Pizza number 3569 is on Vista Road, just down from Kings Park Mall. Vista Road used to belong to the state of California and is now called Fairlanes Inc. Route CSV5. Its main competition used to be a U.S. highway and is now called Cruiseways Inc. Route Cal 12. Farther up the valley, the two competing highways actually cross. Once there had been bitter disputes, the intersection closed by sporadic sniper fire. Finally, a big developer bought the entire intersection and turned it into a drive through mall. Now the roads just feed into a parking system. Not a lot, not a ramp, but a system. And lose their identity. Getting through the intersection involves tracing paths through the parking system, many braided filaments of direction, like the Ho Chi Minh Trail. CSV5 has better throughput, but Cal 12 has better pavement. This is typical. Fairlands roads emphasize getting you there for type A drivers, and cruiseways emphasize the enjoyment of the ride for type B drivers. The deliberator is a type A driver with rabies. He is zeroing in on the home base. Costa Nostra Pizza, number 3569, cranking up the left lane of CSV5 at 120 kilometers. His car is an invisible black lozenge, just a dark place that reflects the tunnel of franchise signs. The low glow. A row of orange lights burbles and churns against the front, where the grill would be if this were an air-breathing car. The orange light looks like a gasoline fire. It comes in through people's rear windows, bounces off the rear view mirrors, projects a fiery mask across their eyes, and reaches into their subconscious and unearths terrible fears of being pinned, fully conscious, under a detonating gas tank, making them want to pull over and let the deliverator overtake them in his black chariot of pepperoni fire. The low glow overhead, marking out CSV-5 in twin contrails, is a body of electrical light made of innumerable cells, each cell designed in Manhattan by imagiers who made more for designing a single logo than a deliverator will make in his entire lifetime. Despite their efforts to stand out, they all smear together, especially at 120 kilometers per hour. Still, it is easy to see Costa Nostra Pizza number 3569 because of the billboard, which is wide and tall, even by current inflated standards. In fact, the squat franchise itself looks like nothing more than a low-slung base for the great Aramid fiber pillars that thrust the billboard up into the trademark firmament. Marca Registrata, baby! The billboard is a classic. A chestnut, not a figment of some fleeting mafia promotional campaign. It is a statement. A monument built to endure. Simple and dignified. It shows Uncle Enzo in one of his spiffy Italian suits. The pinstripes glint and flex like sinews. The pocket square is luminous. His hair is perfect, slicked back with something that never comes off, each strand cut off straight and square at the end by Uncle Enzo's cousin, Art the Barber, who runs the second largest chain of low-end haircutting establishments in the world. Uncle Enzo is standing there, not exactly smiling, an avuncular glint in his eye for sure, not posing like a model, but standing there like your uncle would. And it says, The Mafia. You've got a friend in the family. Paid for by the Our Thing Foundation. The billboard deserves as the deliberator's pole star. He knows that when he gets to the place on CSV5 where the bottom corner of the billboard is obscured by the pseudo-gothic stained glass arches of the local Reverend Wayne's Pearly Gates franchise, it's time for him to get over into the right lane where the idiots in the bimbo boxes poke along, random, indecisive, looking at each passing franchise's driveway like they don't know if it's a promise or a threat. He cuts off a bimbo box, a family minivan, veers past the buy and fly that is next door, and pulls into Cosa Nostra Pizza number 3569. Those big fat contact patches complain, squeal a bit, but they hold on the patented Fairlanes Inc. high traction pavement and guide him into the chute. 
No other deliberators are waiting in the chute. That is good. That means high turnover for him. Fast action. Keep moving that za. As he scrunches to a stop, the electromechanical hatch on the flank of his car is already opening to reveal his empty pizza slots. The door clicking and folding back in on itself like the wings of a beetle. The slots are waiting. Waiting for hot pizza. And waiting. The liberator honks his horn. This is not a nominal outcome. Window slides open. That should never happen. You can look at the three-ring binder from the Cosa Nostra Pizza University, cross-ref the citation for window, shoot, dispatchers, and it will give you all the procedures for that window. And it should never be opened. Unless something has gone wrong. The window slides open and, you sitting down, smoke comes out of it. The deliberator hears a discordant beetling over the metal hurricane of his sound system and realizes that it is a smoke alarm coming from inside the franchise. Mute button on the stereo. Oppressive silence. His eardrums uncringe. The window is buzzing with the cry of the smoke alarm. The car idles, waiting. The hatch has been open too long. Atmospheric pollutants are congealing on the electrical contacts in the back of the pizza slots. He'll have to clean them out ahead of schedule. Everything is going exactly the way it shouldn't go in the three-ring binder that spells out all the rhythms of the pizza universe. Inside, a football-shaped Abkhazian man is running to and fro, holding a three-ring binder open, using his spare tire as a ledge to keep it from collapsing shut. He runs with the gait of a man carrying an egg on a spoon. He is shouting in the Abkhazian dialect. All the people who run Cosa Nostra pizza franchises in this part of the valley are Abkhazian immigrants. It does not look like a serious fire. The deliberator saw a real fire once at the farms of Maryville, and you couldn't see anything for the smoke. That's all it was, smoke burbling out of nowhere, occasional flashes of orange light down at the bottom, like heat lightning and tall clouds. This is not that kind of fire. It is the kind of fire that just barely puts out enough smoke to detonate the smoke alarms. And he is losing time for this shit. The deliberator holds the horn button down. Abkhazian manager comes to the window. He is supposed to use the intercom to talk to drivers. He could say anything he wanted and it would be piped straight into the deliberator's car, but no, he has to talk face to face like the deliberator is some kind of fucking ox cart driver. He is red faced, sweating. His eyes roll as he tries to think of the English words. A fire, a little one, he says. The deliberator says nothing, because he knows that all of this is going onto videotape. That tape is being pipelined as it happens to Cosa Nostra Pizza University, where it will be analyzed in a pizza management science laboratory. It will be shown to Pizza University students, perhaps to the very students who will replace this man when he gets fired, as a textbook example of how to screw up your life. New employee, put his dinner in the microwave, add foil in it, boom, the manager says. Abkhazia had been part of the Soviet fucking Union. A new immigrant from Abkhazia trying to operate a microwave was like a deep-sea tube worm doing brain surgery. Where did they get these fucking guys? Weren't there any Americans who could bake a fucking pizza? Just give me one pie, the deliberator says. Talking about pie snaps the guy into the current century. He gets a grip. He slams the window shut, strangling the relentless keening of the smoke alarm. A Nipponese robot arm shoves the pizza out and into the top slot. The hatch folds shut to protect it. As the deliberator is pulling out of the chute, building up speed, checking the address that is flashing across the windshield, deciding whether to turn left or right, it happens. The stereo cuts out again, on command of the onboard system. The cockpit lights go red. Red. A repetitive buzzer begins to sound. The LED readout on his windshield, which echoes the one in the pizza box, flashes up. 20 minutes. They had just given the deliberator a 20-minute-old pizza. He checks the address. 
It is 12 miles away.